During this Thanksgiving season, are you counting your blessings? I hope so. We all need to be doing that. Let me ask you another question. What do you consider to be your greatest blessing? Is it your health, your job, your family? What about spiritual blessings? Are you counting them? If so, what are they? In a moment, we're going to consider two of the greatest spiritual blessings that we should be thankful for. Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I want to take this opportunity to wish all of you a very blessed season of Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite times of the year, a time of family, fellowship, and good food. I have many wonderful memories of family gatherings at Thanksgiving, and I'm sure you do too. Personally, I believe that for a Christian, every day of the year should be a day of thanksgiving. I have found over the years that a heart filled with thanksgiving is one of the best medicines for emotional and physical health. I make it a point, at least once a month, if not more frequently, to sit down and make a list of things in my prayer journal that I am thankful for. I sometimes spend as much as 30 to 45 minutes working on the list, and in the process, I try to think of things that we tend to take for granted, uh, things like pure water, uh, electricity, air conditioning, a house to live in, and a car to drive. Did you know that 80% of all sickness in the world is attributable to unsafe drinking water? Did you know that if you keep food in a refrigerator, clothes in a closet, and sleep in a bed with a roof over your head, you are richer than 75% of the entire population of the world? Did you know that out of every 100 people in this world, 18 struggle to live on less than $1 a day, and 53 struggle to live on $2 a day. We have so much to be thankful for in this country, and we tend to be so unthankful. We fret over the fact that we don't have a color TV set in every room when most of the world lives without access to electricity. It's one of the reasons I believe that every American teenager should be sent to live a couple of weeks in a third world country like Mexico, just to see how most people in the world are involved in a daily struggle to merely survive. All of us in the United States should be living with an attitude of gratitude. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Psalm 100, which is labeled with a superscription that says, A Psalm of Thanksgiving. It is the only psalm that bears such a label. And it says in part, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. That is the attitude we should live with, even in tough times when things are not going smoothly for us. Of course, the thing we should be most grateful for is the salvation that Jesus provided for us through His sacrifice on the cross for our sins. What a glorious gift. And it is precisely that, a gift. The Bible teaches very clearly that the forgiveness of our sins is something that cannot be earned. It is a free gift of God through faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Have you ever thought about the fact that salvation by grace through faith is one of the things that sets Christianity apart from all other religions? Every other religion in the world teaches the satanic concept of salvation through good works. 
Christianity alone teaches that one cannot be saved by good works, that our only hope is the righteousness of Jesus which is applied to us when we put our faith in Him. Pastor Robert Jeffress of First Baptist Church in Dallas has a wonderful way of putting it. He says, and I quote, Every religion in the world except Christianity is spelled D-O. Only Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. In other words, Jesus did it all for us by sacrificing His perfect life for our sins. A few years ago, I ran across a short video that vividly demonstrates this point. And in the process, it shows how thankful we should be to Jesus. The video was produced by a very creative Christian artist named Justin Jackson, who is on the staff of Central Christian Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. He has given us special permission to show it to you. Next. File, please. Mm-hmm. Some lying, some stealing, and some acts of kindness here and there. I tried to live a good life. Well, let's see how good. This way. please. Okay, I admit it. I did a lot of bad things. Yes, I see. But I've done good things too, you know, to offset the bad things. Like one time I cheated on a test, but then I cleaned up trash in the park. Mm-hmm. That should balance out, right? Let's find out. This way. That should have balanced out, right? It should have balanced out. Next. File, please. Impressive. Oh, yeah. I devoted my entire life to making this world a better place. I dug wells in Africa. I donated blood every month. And I ran an orphanage in India. I mean, I just wish I could have done more. Mm-hmm. And is this your subscription? I only read the articles. I only read the articles. Next. My mom goes to church. I was baptized as a baby. Take American Express, right? Next. File, please. Whoa. Somebody's been busy. Well, let's get this over with. Sorry, um, I didn't know he was with you. Okay, step on the scale. Not you. Him. Hey, wait a minute. That is totally not fair. That's why it's called grace. Next.
The second spiritual blessing I want to thank God for is one that is yet to take place. It is based upon a promise of God that can be found in John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 Thessalonians 4. It is called the rapture of the church. The Apostle Paul describes the rapture in detail in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning with verse 13. And when he finishes his explanation of it, he writes in verse 18, comfort one another with these words. So, the promise of the rapture is supposed to be a source of great comfort to those of us who are believers. But the sad thing is that the average Christian seems to have little or no knowledge about this important promise. I know that from personal experience. I was born into a Christian family. I was raised in the church. I went to church for 30 years every time the door was open, and never once did I ever hear about the rapture. In fact, after all those years in the church, if you had asked me to define the rapture, I probably would have said it's a sensation you feel when your girlfriend kisses you. In 2002, when we broadcast our very first television program, we devoted it to the promised blessing of the rapture. And we attempted to demonstrate the kind of ignorance that exists in the church concerning the rapture. We did it through a series of simulated interviews. Let's take a look at them. Excuse me, sir, are you a Christian? Well, yes, I am, as a matter of fact. Well, I thought so from that tie you're wearing there. Let me uh, ask you just a quick question, okay? Uh, yeah, just speed it up, make it quick. All right, uh, what is the rapture? The rapture? Huh, well, now let's see. The rapture, the rapture. Um, don't help me, don't help me. Uh, just give me another moment to think here. The rapture, the rapture. Excuse me, sir, could I uh, ask you a quick question? Uh, sure. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Then let me ask you a question. Uh, what is the rapture? Uh, could you give me a clue? It's in the Bible. Uh, it must be in the Old Testament. I, I've never heard of it. See, I'm, I'm a New Testament Christian. The rapture, the rapture. Come on, come on. I know this term. I know it. Um, uh, don't help me. Just give me a little bit more time to think here. The rapture. Uh, hey, guys, could I ask you all a quick question? Are we going to sure. be on TV? Well, maybe. Cool, yeah. Okay, fire away. Okay. Uh, are you Christians? Yeah. I thought so from those shirts you were wearing. Well, my question is this. What is the rapture? The what? The rapture. Just a minute. I uh, think they're having some sort of a powwow here. I don't know for sure what we're going to get out of this. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay, you got it? Is it some type of rap music? Excuse me, are you folks Christians? Why, yes, we are. Do you mind if I ask you a biblical question? Well, we're in church every Sunday. I, go ahead, uh, what's the question? What is the rapture? The rapture, uh, I'll tell you what. My wife is the real Bible expert, and I think I'm going to let her answer this okay. question. Okay. Um... Just give me a minute. I know I've heard that term before. Um, oh, I think I know. Isn't that when Jesus went up on the mountain and revealed his coming glory to his disciples? You know, the transfiguration. Isn't that also called the rapture? The rapture. The rapture. The rapture. Excuse me, ma'am. Could I ask you a question? Sure. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. I'd like to ask you a biblical question. All right. What is the rapture? The rapture? The rapture is the promise of Jesus that one day, very soon, he's going to appear in the heavens to take his church out of this world.
I've invited our web minister and fellow evangelist Nathan Jones to uh, join me. He not only designed our website, but is on that site eight hours a day answering Bible questions and sharing the gospel with people all over the world. Nathan, I'd like to discuss with you two questions concerning the rapture. And uh, the first is how do we know that the rapture is an event that is going to occur separate and apart from the second coming? And that's a question that we often have. And then the second question concerns the timing of the rapture. Why do you believe, for example, that the rapture is most likely to occur before the tribulation begins? So let's begin with the first question. Is the second coming an event separate and apart from the rapture, or is it all one event where we're just simply going to go up and immediately come right back down? When you look at the Bible verses on the second coming, you look at, uh, say, for instance, John 14, 1 through 14, and 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 18, and 1 Thessalonians. And then you look at other verses that supposedly talk about the second coming, you know, like Zechariah 14, and then Jesus' account in Matthew 24, and the same in Mark 13, and Luke 21, and Revelation 19. All those that talk about the second coming. But the first three I mentioned, especially 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians, they almost tell a different story. It's like it's supposed to be all about the second coming, but there's a vast difference between the two that it sounds like there's two. Well, what so, kind of differences, for example? Well, for instance, if you look at the verses particularly about the rapture, it seems like when Jesus comes, He comes in the air. All right. And the believers are brought from the ground up into the air. But for second coming verses, it has it the other way. Jesus is coming down and He actually lands on earth. So, Jesus is up in the air. In second coming verses, Jesus is on the ground. Or take, for instance, the Mount of Olives. In the rapture verses, Jesus is brought up, I mean, we're brought up in the air and Jesus is waiting. But in those verses, Jesus comes down and when He lands, especially as Zechariah 14 explains this, the Mount of Olives splits. There's a new valley formed on the east side of Jerusalem. And there's no mention of that in the rapture verses. So, it's almost like two stories. Uh, the location of the believers. The believers are brought up to heaven. But when Jesus comes back, there's believers on the earth. So, if Jesus brought all the believers up at the rapture, why are there believers on the earth in the second coming? So, there has to be two separate events. Well, I, I would say so. I, I think that when you read like 1 Thessalonians 4 and you compare it to Revelation 19, they don't have anything in common except they both focus upon Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. And one, He appears in the heavens, but the other, He comes down to earth. Mm-hmm. And one, He appears for His believers. The other, He returns with His believers. And, and even the nature of His return, in, in, in one, He is appearing as a deliverer, uh, as a bridegroom for His bride. But in the other, He's coming back to earth for the purpose of pouring out the wrath of God upon those who rejected the grace, mercy, and love of God. And He comes with His believers, mm-hmm. and He comes to be a king. So, they have to be two different events. Yeah, the, the, the stories don't line up. So, so basically what you're saying is that the second coming of Jesus is going to be in two stages. First, the rapture for the church, and second, the return to the earth with His church to reign. The Bible, the verses, they just they tell that story. Two okay. separate stages. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it solves another problem too, and that is that the Bible tells us that we cannot know anything about the, uh, uh, the timing of the Lord's return. And yet you go over to the book of Revelation and it says that once the Antichrist signs a treaty, you can count exactly seven years and Jesus returns. Daniel 9 and then you've got Revelation 11. It gives us the exact amount of time that God's going to pour out His wrath on His earth. 84 months. when it speaks about not knowing, it has to be referring to the rapture. 
Well, look at Jesus. Even Jesus doesn't know when he's supposed to come back to the earth. If the Antichrist signed a peace treaty or then three and a half later desecrated the temple, Jesus would say, oh, okay, I've got this amount of days I'm going to show up. Again, the two stories don't relate. Okay. All right. Now, this brings us to the second question, and that is the question of the timing of the rapture. Why do you believe it's most likely to occur before the tribulation as opposed to the middle of the tribulation or the end of the tribulation? What? Well, you know, this confuses a lot of people, and there's a lot of good theories out there. For me, the best thing I did with all these ideas is it before the tribulation, is it the middle of the tribulation, and is the tribulation, was to sit down and write it all out and try to get it organized in my mind and look at the different proofs that each of the views had. And I ended up writing a blog series, Why I Believe in a Pre-Trib Rapture, to help my mind get around it. And overwhelmingly, I believe the Bible is says that it's a pre-trib rapture. There's just... I ended up actually with 11 different arguments why <laughs> it makes more well, what sense. What is the most important argument that you think uh, you could offer? There's two. The number one, and I think you share this one, is the imminency of Christ's return. There is nothing that has to happen before the rapture to occur. But for the second coming, there's all sorts of things. Yes. World devastation and antichrist and one world government and everything before the second coming. So the imminency of the rapture, that nothing has to happen before, to me tells that it's a separate event and it has to happen before the tribulation. Another strong thing for me, and you hear a lot of um, different views like the mid-trib who believe it has to to be trumpets or it's almost like you divide the, the suffering that goes on, the judgment that go on during the tribulation. You've got the seals and the trumpets are the first half and the bowls and you get to the end and there's a post trib. But when Jesus returns, if Jesus took up the believers did a cash for clunkers type exchange, changed our bodies from unglorified bodies to the bodies we'll be living forever, and return to earth, who lives on into the millennial kingdom if all the believers have glorified bodies? Now, the glorified bodies are like angels' bodies. They will never reproduce. So, for me, the post-trib rapture view doesn't make sense. Or the idea of the mid-trib rapture, that it happens at the last trumpet judgment. But it was Jesus that opened up the first seal that started the judgments. So, if Jesus started all seven years of judgments, then it can't be a mid-trib rapture. And then the pre-wrath rapture, the idea it happens, the rapture at the last quarter, that to me doesn't make sense either. Uh, the bowls, it says that the God's wrath ends with the bowl judgment. It doesn't begin, but ends with the bowl judgments, which means all the judgments that happened before there had to have happened before that. So again, a pre-trib rapture. Well, uh, one verse that comes to mind from what you're talking about there is in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10 that says, we're waiting for His Son from heaven whom He called, uh, raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who will deliver us from the wrath that is to come. We are, we are promised that we're going to be delivered from the wrath that is to come. And the tribulation is the pouring out of God's wrath upon this earth. So why, why should we even be around then? We should be taken out to, to be uh, uh, saved from that wrath. The strongest argument I hear from people is constantly, Christians have been suffering for 2,000 years. They were thrown to the lions in Caesar's time. I mean, we got news reports now in Pakistan and India. They're burning their houses and burning the people alive. Why aren't we going to suffer as well? But the difference in this time is like the flood. God's wrath on earth is a different time than the regular suffering. Well, we're not, uh, mm. uh, we're not uh, a promise that we will be uh, free of uh, tribulation. I oh, mean, exactly. uh, the way things are going in this nation, Christians are going to come under increasing persecution. But mm-hmm. there's a difference in tribulation and the great tribulation when uh, one half of humanity is going to die in the first three and a half years. I mean, oh, it's yeah. going to be a tribulation like the world has never seen before. One final question, very quickly, and that is, 
Quite often people who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture are immediately labeled as escapists. You're just an escapist. You're, you're not willing to suffer for the Lord. You just want to be taken out of here. Now what about it? Are you an escapist? I say amen, brother. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am definitely an escapist. You know, it's one thing to suffer under the hand of man, and it's another thing to suffer under the hand of Satan. But to suffer under the hand of the living God, that's a terrifying concept. Who will survive? So, yes, I am definitely an escapist because, like you said, the verses you said, the Bible tells us. I'll give you another one. Ephesians 5, 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. The church has been cleansed. They're no longer disobedient. Romans 5, 9, Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Yeah. The Bible teaches a pre-trib rapture. Well, the, uh, the thing that I always mm-hmm. respond when people, and they, they do it all the time, they say, well, you're just an escapist. I say, well, Noah was an escapist. Lot was an escapist. And Jesus Himself said in Luke 21, verse 36, Pray that you may escape all these things that will take place. Well, if Jesus told me to pray to escape them, I'm going to pray to escape them. I'm not anxious to be around here when the uh, Antichrist is here. No. Should I be willing to die for Jesus Christ? Yes. But that doesn't mean that I have to go through the Great Tribulation. Exactly. Well, thank you, Nathan. I appreciate the way every point you made was based on Scripture. A couple of years ago, church in Australia produced a short video about the impact of the rapture. It was placed on YouTube, on the Internet, and I'm telling you it caused a worldwide sensation. The church, the Potter's House in Perth, Australia, has given us permission to show the video on this program. Let's take a look at it. Jesus Christ is coming back for His church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month, or He might come next week, or He could even come... Now that's what I call a powerful video. Nathan, I understand that uh, you and our media crew have just finished making a video of your own concerning the rapture. Tell us about it. Well, in three words, left behind video. (laughs) We wanted to leave a message behind for those after the tribulation. Uh, The main ministry, of course, Lamb and Linus, proclaimed the soon return of Jesus Christ. And we can do that now and through the internet and video. We can do it after the rapture. So this was our message to help people come to the Lord during the tribulation and also kind of how to survive it. Well, I tell you what, that sounds fascinating. Why don't you come back next week and show that video to us? I'd be happy to. All right. And now, as we bring our program to a close, I want to share with you a powerful song about the rapture called 1159. Here is a production of it by our great media staff as sung by Jack Collinsworth of Acts 29 Ministries.
Time is winding down, just look around us. Evil's breaking loose on every side. The devil knows his time is almost over. Soon the clock will stop and Jesus Christ will split the sky. in the street tell your friends and neighbors tell everyone you meet we all need a savior but we're running out of time he's coming back at midnight it's 11:59 God's prepared a place for all his children. Free from fears and doubt, tears and pain. We must choose our destination. You know there's just one way to heaven. Jesus is his name. Claim it in the street and tell your friends and neighbors, tell everyone you meet. We all need a savior, but we're running out of time. Yes, he's coming back at midnight. It's eleven fifty-nine. And at the right hand of the Father, he'll soon stand to his feet. And his son go get the children and bring them home to me. So let's shout it from the Claim it in the street. Tell your friends and neighbors. Tell everyone you meet that we all need a savior, but we're running out of time. Yes, he's coming back at midnight. It's eleven fifty-nine. Church, Jesus is coming back. Time as we know it is almost over. He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle, one who's ready to go. It's almost midnight. It's 11.59. Dr. David Reagan's newest book, Living on Borrowed Time, presents a sweeping overview of the signs of the times that point to the imminent return of Jesus to this earth. The book runs 300 pages in length and can be yours for a donation of $15 or more, plus the cost of shipping. 
To order a copy, call the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Monday through Friday Central Time, or you can order the book through our website at lamblion.com. This book will help you see national and international events from a biblical perspective. It will also help you to understand that we are witnessing the fulfillment of Bible prophecies right before our very eyes, prophecies that signal the soon return of Jesus. Once again, to order a copy of the book, call the number you see on the screen or go to our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 